ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a podcast for the new evangelization, a new name for the podcast formerly known as Prairie Rome Companion. I am still your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I still have the same illustrious co-host. Illustrious, even. Illustrious. Yeah, this is Father Andrew Dickinson, and happy to be with Ignition. Ignition. Um, we sort of teased it in the last episode and just tried to be prudent about diocesan resources and stewardship of intellectual property, both ours and other people's. So uh, it was proposed to us that we um, uh, come up with a new name. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, it, just still, still the same witty banter, still the same moment, dead air when five. Are waiting for the other one to chime in. All the things you've come to know and love about our podcast, they'll still be here, right, Father? What? Exactly. <laughs> See how we served yes, that one for you? That was just toss it up there. Father took it out of the park. Um, I was just right. Exactly. So, so the, the subtitle, though, is, is what I had proposed to Father, maybe we could talk about as a topic for this relaunch of the podcast. Can I, can I stop you for a moment? Can, sure. I, can I stop you for a moment? Time out, time out. Yeah, I guess You're so. using that word propose way too freely for my comfort. <laughs> People can edit uh, that you propose to Father and just kind of make a little stop right out of that and that's just I mean you got to be careful in these days of like bad editing uh, I mean we're hearing about that more and more in various uh, news venues <laughs> and, um, and, and, and and with the dozens and dozens of uh, ignition fans that uh, go to the same uh, feed burner access point uh, you know they might uh, some might be willing to do a little YouTube mashup of uh, your verbal miscues not mine yours if people are going to do that sort of thing, they, Father, they could take anything that you and I say and do a verbal mashup of. So, I mean, if I, I if, by the way, Father, I don't think that our listeners, our dozens and dozens of listeners, um, would do that. I, I, I'd hate to impugn such ill will to our fine listeners. <laughs> But they are, but they are our listeners, though. <laughs> That's fair. That's true. And then, the, and then there's also, a, of course, our producer extraordinaire who might decide to just go ahead and do this anyway himself. But we know he, that he might decide to make it so. He might indeed. <laughs> the subtitle, as I was saying, however, for our podcast, the new title, ignition, you suggested as an appropriate. Uh, topic for this first yes a podcast for the new evangelization and and you and I have talked about the new evangelization from various angles um, over the well really over the last two years since we started doing this um, way back almost two years ago um, We've talked about the Holy Father's creation of the Pontifical Council for the promotion of the new evangelization we've talked about his his uh, apostolic letter um, Porta Fide, the door of faith, and so on. But I thought maybe just be good to have a podcast on just answering this question, 
What the heck is the new evangelization? What the heck is it, Father? Hey, my mom might be listening to this. I know, I know. I hate to use such strong language, but... So, so, Father, what is the new evangelization? It is a proposal of the gospel and the saving good news truth of Jesus Christ to lands and to people that may have historically been uh, Christian, but as it current stands, there's now maybe a crisis or even absence of the faith in those lands. And so it's a deliberate repropose or uh, propose the first time, maybe even for second generation people who may have fallen away from the faith, uh, but to repropose or propose that saving good news of Jesus Christ. So to, to sort of, uh, so you've, you've already at least implicitly answered this next question, but I'll, I'll, I'll pose it anyway. So what, what makes the new evangelization new? I mean, isn't what you just said, why do we call it new evangelization? Isn't what you just said, isn't that evangelization? Why do we have to call it new? Because of the fact that there are uh, lands or peoples that were once evangelized but have um, uh, been afflicted by this profound crisis of faith. Because the phrase Pope Benedict used in his uh, document Porta Fidei uh, back from the fall of this uh, October 2011. Yeah, and I think... The, the, some. Uh, a crisis, uh, the unique nature, in a sense, of this crisis, I think, um, is that it's self-inflicted. In other, in other words, you know, never before. This, this is one way that I answer the question: What makes this new? Never before in the history of Christianity have we seen cultures, civilizations, of their own accord, walk away from the gospel. Um, we right. certainly we've seen. Yeah, we've seen cultures uh, like North Africa, places in uh, the Middle East that were Christian, but by quite a, by conquest and by force, uh, they uh, lost the faith. But never kind of that deliberate, uh, if you will, cultural and uh, uh, faith suicide, if you will. Right. And we've seen, obviously, within um, Europe during the Reformation, we've seen where where peoples have switched from one Christian tradition to other Christian traditions, uh, but never where somebody has simply walked away from the entirety of the gospel uh, in mass, so to speak. Uh, and so this is a new circumstance never before seen in, again, the history of Christianity, and therefore re- it requires uh, a new evangelization. Uh, one of the things that strikes me about it is really if you talking about Porta Fide again, the year of faith that's coming up. Um, Pope Benedict, one of the, the what we're going to be celebrating, one of the things we're celebrating with this year of faith is the 50th anniversary of the opening of the, of the Second Vatican Council. And, and Benedict himself has referred to the fact that the history of the new evangelization, the, the proximate history, the near history at least, goes back uh, to the Second Vatican Council. Uh, if you look at what the Second Vatican Council was about, um, and if you look at some of the particular documents like Ad Gentes on the missionary activity of, of, of the church, um, you see there the, 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 I don't know, the, sort of the, the initial stages, the origins for what was developed by Paul VI in his letter of Angeli Nunziandi on the evangelization of peoples, just on evangelization in general, and then by JP II, Blessed John Paul II, and Benedict, 
um, sort of more specifically the new evangelization. But it really does go back in many ways to uh, the, the Second Vatican Council and the desire for for finding a way to proclaim the gospel anew to the men and women of our time, uh, something which, frankly, in many ways, we're still trying to do. Very much so. It's still it's, uh, still kind of maybe wrestling with that same question, which in a certain sense uh, might be nothing new in the life of um, the church, that just because the council is proclaimed doesn't mean the issue is solved. Uh, of times, you just finally really start to begin to address the issue. Exactly. You know, we, we a few episodes, we talked a little bit about Vatican II, um, and to me, this is just another way where we see the need to to continue to open that gift, the gift of the Spirit, which was the Council, um, to, to look at what the Council said and see how, not just study it for uh, intellectual, or, you know, the, the sake of intellectual curiosity, but study it to see how we can live it out. Uh, to how we can um, take up that call, that, which is made to all of us, you as a priest, to religious men and women, but also to the lay faithful, to live out the gospel life uh, wherever, in all spheres of our existence. Yeah, and, and you know, and uh, we think about those roots too. If you look, I mean, just historically and like uh, in intellectual history, at kind of the intellectual suicide or the, the suicide of thought that was going on in Europe even you know long before the council 150 years before the council even um, might be a little back to the very beginning of it but to how uh, you know the, the, the Christianity that was encountered the Christianity that was taught was already beginning to become to become lost in a sense and the Christianity that was rebelled against uh, in, in so many intellectual ways in the academic circles, and that began, continued, began to to peter down throughout, down now to kind of the common on the street level that we experience today. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that the Second Vatican Council. I, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous to say, in a sense. I think Blessed John Paul II was right. I, I, I guess that's not necessarily silly. Popes aren't infallible in all of their opinions, but I do deeply agree with him and his predecessors and successor that the council was necessary. And to me, you know, a lot of people look at, 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 at the, what happened in the church in the late 60s and early 70s and say, well, everything was fine until Vatican II came along. You hear some people make that claim. Well, my point is, well, if, if things collapse so quickly, isn't it, is it another possibility that things weren't quite as robust as they thought we thought they were, that maybe exteriorly, externally, the church appeared to have great vitality, uh, but at least in some places that was masking a, um, a weakness uh, that, that, attributes, that, that goes back much further, as you were just saying, and that just the, the, the crisis of civilization uh, in Western civilization that occurred in the late 60s sort of pushed that over. You yeah. know, knocked, go ahead. But I think also, I mean, I think you can also say the argument as well, though, that um, just maybe to play devil's advocate to your comment, or not maybe devil's advocate, but just maybe a, a, an argument could be made that um, with some of those, and here might be off the topic that you want to go on, maybe this should be my last comment on it, but I'll actually make that comment instead of just commenting about my comment. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the greatest qualification in the history of this podcast. Go um, I don't know. I think we should check the records on that. Okay. All right. Uh, um, I, I'm quite the qualifier. Uh, but uh, that, 
while it is true that you know there's certainly some things amiss below the surface, that when uh, structural things were stripped away, that uh, the uh, the problems became all the more manifest. You could wonder whether we could have better addressed those things with some of those cultural things still around. I think an argument could be made in that direction, but I do not have a time machine. Do you? No, and, and, and frankly, I, I think I would agree with you if, if, if we're talking about decisions that were made in, within the church after the council. My, my, my issue, my disagreement is with those who attribute the woes of the post-conciliar woes of the church to the council itself. Right. right. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you that, yeah, there were certainly some decisions made after the council that, that, that I think we can legitimately uh, wonder if things had turned out, would have turned out differently. But as you pointed out, we don't have a time machine. Uh, what, what, all we can do is say, and how do we move forward? If we had a time now? machine, we all know what we'd use it for. Velociraptors. I was thinking we could go back to the island, but anyway. Uh, never mind. Um, well, we don't. Reference. Uh, you are correct, sir. Uh, we don't have a time machine. I really don't want a time machine. All we can do is go forward from where we are, and what's necessary again to me, um, and well, I think we're in agreement on this. Among other things, is is really implementing the council, living out. What the, what the council proposed, which is frankly just living out the faith, which is what the new evangelization is all about—to come back and tie this bow up, oh so nicely. Not about nicely, it's certainly broadly. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, which um, we can move in a broad strokes and back, back to the idea of new evangelization. Then, and I think, um, you know, the most integral part of it is uh, uh, internal conversion. Oh. The most important part of the new evangelization is internal conversion in the church. And for that, those who wish to be a part of this is that need uh, in yourself to, uh, if you will, always be converting uh, on your own. Um, you're thinking about a, there's a, a line from a, a movie from the 1980s, you know, uh, but always be converting. Um, that conversion is something for one moment in your life. Conversion is something for someone they join the church. Uh, conversion is something that's we're called to a constant conversion in that sense. Um, in fact, and we're commanded each year in a special way, in a formal way at Ash Wednesday, uh, repent and believe in the gospel. Right. Ongoing conversion, because conversion is simply you know, coming from metanoia to turn towards Christ. And we always, maybe we don't um, always always go 180 in the opposite direction, but I think, you know, we probably, you know, tack, drift a little bit left or right, mm -hmm. um, and and we need to be continually recentering ourselves, refocusing ourselves, redirecting the ship towards him, keeping our eyes affixed upon him. Back towards our Lord and Savior, most certainly. Yes. Um, and so one, one of the things you hear about hear and read about uh, quite a bit in in uh, literature on the new evangelization is the need for the evangelizer to be evangelized that is the evangelizer the, the church the members of the church we need to be evangelized ourselves we need to be continually converted ongoing conversion so that we can then uh, take up the call of Christ to go and make disciples amen
And that's, again, what we're all called to do, go and make disciples. Um, and and it, it's, I don't know, it, what, again, going back to the council, this is something that we're all called to do, and, and, and what would the world, well, yeah, obviously. Wouldn't it be great if the entire world were Catholic? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, like I, uh, I work with a program uh, that's very much inspired by the idea of the new evangelization on my college campus. Uh, focus to fellowship of Catholic University students, and uh, they're much part of the new evangelization. But I always remind them, especially some people from their headquarters. Uh, there's one person I've been been in ongoing kind of conversations with. I keep saying to him, "Now remember, Steve, uh, your purpose, your goal, should be not to exist in 30 years." <laughs> right. Right. You know, what yeah. I mean, uh, because focus isn't the church, but focus is an effort within the church. Uh, of new evangelization, re-evangelization, and their real desire should be not to exist. Yep, yep. Where, where every it has been in a sense been accomplished. One of the things, particularly, uh, focus and any of the other movements within the church which are focused, no pun intended, uh, so specifically on evangelization and the new evangelization. Uh, to me, that one of the one of the great strengths of, of focus and other groups like them. Uh, is a clear understanding that what's needed is not so much um, more and more effective and better catechesis. That is necessary, but, but what needs to be emphasized perhaps even more than that in our time is that primary proclamation. What is the gospel? Who is Jesus Christ? Uh, we had for, in in May we had a, a day for parish catechetical leaders, uh, and we had Professor Sean Innerst in from the uh, the seminary in St. John Vianney Seminary uh, in Denver. Father, I believe that's your uh, a theological alma mater. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and he also he works with the Augustine Institute as well. And and he, he I, I think I may have spoken to this image before. He uses a great biblical image. Um, to make the, a point that others make in other ways. And when you think about how God saved the Israelites um, from slavery in Egypt and then everything that happened afterwards, God gave the people the teaching, the law, and other things after they had experienced salvation. So they, 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 had, they had a powerful encounter with the saving God of their fathers and then they, he, he gave them this, this, the beauty of this revelation of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Words, and all those other words that he spoke to them through Moses. But the, the, the key there for me that needs to be emphasized is the teaching of the law and so on came after the experience and the awareness of who God was and the encounter with him and his saving power. Uh, and I think that, that that's a lesson there for, I, th I think, and this is, you know, people can differ with me on this, but I think in our day and age, there are many, many people, including many Catholics who go to, to Mass on, a, on a, maybe a regular basis even, um, that, that need to have represented to them uh, that, that base of the kerygma. Who is Jesus Christ? What is the good news? And maybe a lot of, the, the, before we get into the more effective catechesis, we meet, need to begin, in a sense, with that, that basic proclamation of the gospel. What do you think? Uh, definitely. I think also, too, with that, uh, a close relation to that might be, um, I think the, the more frequent use of the sacrament of confession 
provides that. The use of the sacrament of confession provides that, uh, again, that proclamation conversion experience, that realization, understanding of my sinfulness, examination of my life uh, in comparison to the gospel, knowing my sins, and then uh, a, uh, a understanding of my greater need and a need for my reliance upon uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's funny, I uh, encounter a lot of non-Catholic even uh, evangelization efforts out on the college campus. Sure. And, uh, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, the altar call or dedicate your life to Jesus. You know, and I, if you think about it, you know, the, every time you pray, um, the, the true act of contrition in the confessional, it's almost like that prayer of faith in Jesus Christ that they are, you know, very much desirous of. But it's, it's, it's almost, again, in that way, uh, expression of that. It is. Prayer, if you will. Right. And as we're saying, again, a sign of the ongoing conversion that we're all called to. We can have those significant moments, maybe, maybe, and, they, and they, I think that can, well, I know it can happen more than once where maybe there's a re- reawakening of, in, in great depth of our, of our faith in Christ, of our relationship with him. But at the same time, as we were saying earlier, there's that ongoing conversion that we're called to and that we experience uh, as you were just saying now, um, whenever we, we uh, receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation. The, the other thing about uh, focus on other groups like them that, that I really like is with that, that, that um, emphasis on primary proclamation, uh, along with that, you know, an understanding in a, in a basic way um, and an action that follows the church's teaching on the entire process of evangelization. So various ways you see them, but win, build, send, uh, conversion, growth, go, encounter, transform, commission, discover, follow, share, all these different, and there, there are other ways to articulate it too, but... Friend, the, like, share. Exactly. <laughs> the, uh, the, the church has this understanding that really much of our pastoral activity falls under the ambit of evangelization. Evangelization is not just that first proclamation, but it's much more than that. Catechesis is one stage, one moment in the process of evangelization. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes, especially with catechesis, to me, sometimes some people treat it as if it's merely religious instruction, but it's much more than that. It's teaching to conversion to Christ. Right. And so that's, another, you know, I think we need to recall that when we're looking at how can we renew our catechetical efforts? Well, it's not just about giving the, the, the orthodox content of the, of the faith in a clear way. It's also about make, showing the connection that this leads me closer to Christ. Right. Well, um, actually, uh, uh, Deacon Jim Keating, who works for the Institute of Priestly Formation, Omaha, uh, is a moral theologian. He, he'll speak about uh, what he sees as three necessary fuels for the new evangelists. Have I ever talked with you about this? No, 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 we're you haven't. Off, we're swerving off a bit in ter- territory. But you've, you've ignited a thought in my head. Indeed. <laughs> Shall I make it so? <laughs> yes. Uh, so... Uh, this, and he talks about how uh, three of our last uh, Holy Fathers really emphasized these uh, uh, fuels, necessary fuels in the new evangelization. Number one, uh, Pope John XXIII uh, and his prayer for a new Pentecost on the eve of the Second Vatican Council. Um, number two, um, John Paul II and his emphasis on uh, orthodoxy, especially in three great actions of his, uh, the promulgation of the Catechism, uh, 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 Veritatis Splendor is a document on the splendor of truth and moral theology, and then um, uh, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. 
and then so uh, so uh, the New Pentecost, or uh, then uh, Orthodoxy, and then third, uh, the Contemplative Life uh, that he really sees uh, that Deacon Keeney really sees lived out in the teaching and homilies of Pope Benedict. Um, that here is a man who certainly lives a life of contemplative prayer, encountering the Lord in His glory and goodness. Um, but really, are, on that third one, aren't we really called to action? Isn't that really what we're, I mean? I mean, contemplation's great, but isn't the problem that we have people not doing enough? If you're really encountering our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you will act by uh, necessity. And if you're in, in a true contemplative, isn't someone who sits in isolation necessarily, although people who sit in isolation can maybe more easily attain any, a, a life of contemplation, such as uh, Carmelite nuns or uh, monks or uh, their other consecrated religious, but all of us can in some way and should contemplate and encounter our Lord and Savior in life-giving prayer, and that will then become that sustaining fuel. Right. Every every evangelist must, well, to be effective, must be a contemplative. I, um, I, I completely agree with the point. I think sometimes you do hear people say, you know, what, what we need to do is we need to do. We need to get things done. We can't just. Kirk needs to adapt seven habits of highly effective people. Exactly. Yes. Although we, yes. nothing against that. That could be a fine tool. Right. And, and to be, well, seven habits of highly effective Catholics, one of them is, uh, 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 well, could be, well, should be, prayer. I should say, prayer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and with that, like, I, I take the analogy a little further just on my own. Um, and so, uh, um, think about, um, so kind of the Pentecost, think about as that conversion experience. And so, when I speak of the new Pentecost, I don't necessarily speak of the uh, quote-unquote charismatic movement, as some might think of it, um, which is certainly good and fine. I've certainly been involved with that and continue to be involved with that in various ways. But more just in the sense of that spark of conversion, oh my gosh, God is real, and I am accountable to him. I think that in many ways is the heart of that new Pentecost, um, you know, that, that, that we might know that there is a God in Israel, so to speak. Um, and so that spark, but a spark doesn't sustain on its own, right? If it's in a fire, a spark mm -hmm. needs uh, fuel that will burn. That's the contemplative life, and it's in the contemplative life where we learn how to pray even in times of difficulty. It's in the contemplative life where we learn uh, the meaning of Jesus' phrase, he who wishes to be my, my disciple must take up his cross and follow after me. That's in the contemplative life uh, where we learn... Uh, what it means to uh, to die to ourselves so that uh, uh, Christ may live in us. As St. Paul will say in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, we've got a fire there because we had a spark. We've got fuel and contemplative life. And any fire, uh, you know, needs a fireplace. And that's orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is that right uh, guide uh, to those things to keep them in their proper place, their proper guidance so that the fire can do what you want it to do. That way you guide the fire so it doesn't become turned in on itself, say. Um, some people might make a fear of contemplative prayer, or that doesn't get out of control and burn your house down. You know, That'll provide the light and the heat that you want it to, and that our Lord wants it to, and the orthodoxy provides that safe place. You're thinking, you're giving dead air. This is my job to give dead air. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just trying to, so, we, well, I was going to go on, but 
So that was the second. Had you addressed the third there, or I, I know did, you'd yes. refer. Okay, okay, okay. Ortho- so uh, the the new evangel or the new Pentecost contemplative life in orthodoxy. Okay, I just got confused because you went out of order, and so I was just trying to get up to speed. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for. Well, that. spark log fireplace. Spark log. <laughs> I you know I think it's and the other what I was thinking though is, um, and what I like about that in a sense orthodoxy is not enough. Right. Well, uh, James chapter two, uh, you say that God is you believe that God is one and you do well for even even demons believe and tremble, but they do not have love. They do not have works. Pardon me. Right. Right. Which is works works of love. Um, As St. Paul will say that love is the love of God and love of neighbor is the work that will endure. Exactly. So. As some Thomistic theologians I've been reading lately, uh, Reginald Gary Goulagrange will say that. Perfection of the Christian life consists in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your strength, mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just a reminder, again, for people like me who can become, our temptation is to make, to reduce the faith to um, 101 right ideas, to, you know, the, the, the doctrines. Uh, it's about more than just right belief. It's right belief, but also orthopraxis right action so very good um i think father unless you have anything to add that we'll uh, go ahead and wrap up this hundredth episode of the podcast now called ignition where's the confetti (sighs) (laughs) that's i'm eating a taco bell tonight Well, you enjoy your Taco Bell, Father, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Ignition. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ignition. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future topics, you can email me at cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. That's C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Again, thanks for listening.